Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. I'm looking forward to this conversation, and Chad Eliason, mortgage broker, is uh, a guy I've known for a long time, and I really am happy to see you on the show, Chad. Thank you for coming by. It's uh, it's good to be here. I'm excited to have a have a conversation. This is my first podcast ever. Oh, you're gonna nail it! It'll be awesome. I've done lots of zooms, but not a never an official podcast. So, well, let's dive crossed. in. Let's dive in. Okay, man. So give me the, the Cole's notes on, uh, you know, I am a person and I'm going to get a mortgage. And is it the same in residential as it is in, in our insurance world where the more prepared people that come to the table get maybe not a better deal, but the file goes smoother for you? Like I'm thinking listeners of the podcast, they're going to buy a rental house or They've got an existing mortgage and maybe they think, you know, maybe we've identified the rate as not competitive or circumstances change. And so we're going to call you, uh, you know, you're a mortgage broker and, and you know, help, help us understand what you actually see in a really smooth file. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. I, you know, I, I often want to ask the question, so what do you think of my shirt today? when you're on the phone and people are like, so can I buy this house? And you're like, um, what do you think of my shirt? And they're like, well, I can't see your shirt. I'm like, well, I can't see your numbers. So you're asking me to answer scientific questions and get a mathematical formula done for you without knowing that. So um, people who are buying rental houses generally know their numbers. Uh, different than a first time buyer coming in saying, we don't know where to start. We were told that we should see our bank, but our friend uses a mortgage broker. How does this work? What do we need for down payment? Right. So the, as you get, as you move along in it, you become more savvy and more sophisticated and generally start using an accountant rather than doing your own taxes. And you have professionals right. who you're questioning for their advice, financial planners, lawyers, all of the things. So um, when, when they come for that, it's either an exploratory or saying, we'd like to do this. What do we need to do? Yeah. And and so in the package that you send again, we do for our, you know our clients a dashboard that we like to give the lawyers and the accountants, so everyone kind of sees what's going on. Is it the same in your world where the underwriters are going, you know, Mister Mrs. Smith, they make this much, and they just assume a bottom line reference point? Is that how it goes? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a great thing out there right now with uh, with one of the big banks that says 60, 60, 60 second pre approval. Okay. I would like to take that and just crumple it up and throw it away if possible. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, hey, no, but they pre-approved me. Like, did they see your documents? No. Did they check your credit score? No. Did you verify what you did and how you claim your income? No. Right. And so there's a difference in how you pre-qualify someone and set them up for all of for what they want to do and make the plan. It's holistic, like you guys saying, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Well, do you want just the best rate on this? Do you want just the lowest rock bottom rate and, or do you want to make a plan for this house to be part of your portfolio for your right. package? So should we take some money out of this? So you can buy your next house. Can we offset this with rentals? And it really comes down to 
I, I want to say that the term would be pre-qualified with a plan to move forward is the best way to do it. And whether you have all of your documents all ready to go, or you don't know where you're, where you're, where you're going to start, that's where you need to get to with a mortgage professional. Right. And, and I, I have seen you in action and I know that you can do some very creative stuff and uh, in remote and, and different things. But at the same time, I'm thinking of a lot of people that listen and, and are part of you know the service wealth or the picture of wealth uh, sphere of people is you know rental houses are are a part of their goals and you know they might have a portfolio of investments but you know at some point they're going to say to themselves I think we should buy a rental place I think we should buy a place at Silver Star or Big White a rec property but let's really never mind the rec stuff let's think simple investment piece of property. And it's, you know, a simple residential house on a lot. A lot of people get stonewalled, you know, early in the, in the process because they haven't really vetted enough things. So what I'm thinking is if I'm a person and I want to buy, I think I want to buy a rental house before I even get too excited, I want to know what those numbers need to look like. So the rules have changed and evolved. I haven't talked to a mortgage broker uh, like you in, in a long time, so I'm selfishly uh, interested in in knowing this this uh, situation too. So, give us the the Coles notes. I want to buy a rental house. What do you know? Is it like commercial real estate? I need to have thirty percent down. It you know what does the rent qualify for? Brainstorm on that for a minute. Yeah, the two really distinct ways of doing it. Right. And when I talked about that whole sort of holistic pre-qualification with the mortgage plan, that's the one way to do it, which I'm working with some clients for right now. You buy your first house, maybe you have, you know, $50,000 in the bank and you're like, Hey, what should we do with this, this money? Should we put on a $500,000 house? Should we put all $50,000 down as our first time? Or should we keep 25,000 aside? Right. And then they say, well, depends what you want to do. Well, we'd like to own rentals at some point. Great. Are you buying your forever home the first time? No. Well, maybe keep $25,000 aside so you can buy your next home as an owner-occupied residence. Keep the one that you're buying right now as a rental. Mm -hmm. Use that income to offset that mortgage cost. So your property insurance, your taxes, your mortgage payments is offset by the rental because it is. That's how the mortgage rules work. And then you use the other 25 to buy your next home or you save up and you buy your next home. So you can wash out all of that rental stuff. Normally, that's the easiest way to build it. And 5% down a time, taking a year at a time to build that to your portfolio until you get to your fifth house. After your fifth house, you're starting to become a, um, well, let's, let's say a uh, a sophisticated investor, some would call it a slumlord world, but it is a real job, right? And that's when banks start to say, hey, you're kind of a commercial person now, and you should be talking to your accountant and you're talking to your advisors about, you know, hold codes, should we be doing this and that. The other way is we've got our forever home. We'd like a vacation property or a rental. One option is 10% down as a second home. So you have 10% down, you buy the second home, you personally carry both of the mortgage with your incomes, your household incomes, right? Okay. It's harder to do because if you owe you know, $600,000 on your current house and you'd like to buy another $600,000 house, 
you're talking $1.2 million and 1 million is kind of a threshold for some of our lenders out there, right? So you need 10% down at least, but after, after that, you might require 20% down for your, for your second home and be able to carry them both. That's why option one, 5%, offset 5%, 5%, you know, the 5% club to getting your portfolio is the easiest step-by-step -step to know what you want for your forever home. Um, the last way is a rental. And that's pure 20% down. You're buying it as a rental in your personal name. You are going to pay a higher rate than a regular insured or 20% down purchase. You don't pay CMHC insurance on it or any of the three. Um, but usually the premium is about 30 to 50 points higher. So in today's rate, I get you a house today for 2%, let's say, for a five-year fixed. A rental would be anywhere between 2.4 and 2.6. Is that the same if uh, <clears throat> if I have a holding company and it's just a, a residential house or now are we talking commercial loans? Uh, depends on what your hold code is being used for. So if you have a hold code that is only used for the rental activities, some lenders will look at that. Mm. If, you have a, if you want to hold the property in trust for your, uh, for your company, in your personal name to get the better rates than a commercial rate, that's when you would talk to your accountant about setting up a bear trust agreement for, for that. But lenders, lenders don't necessarily like rentals in hold co's, mostly because they don't understand how they work. Yeah. Um, and they're like, I, I don't get it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, so you would want to, you'd want to actually talk to your accountant about how to structure that. Right. And you can, I may or may not have a have a friend who just bought a commercial property as a as a principal residence that may be a commercial rental right. <laughs> and setting up a, a bear trust and deferring GST through those things. Well, the bear trust thing is something I just you know came across a couple of years ago. Which again, some accountants are on board with it, and uh, I won't get too into the weeds. But as as you kind of alluded to, it's. Um, they don't like it. They don't like well, it. Yeah. yeah. There's, you know, the scenario I had was, you know, person owns a townhouse. They get married. They move into a house over here with their significant other. And uh, the Bear Trust Agreement, they move the townhouse into the Hold Co. And the Hold Co. collects the income on it. And that's, you know, yeah. they seem to think it works out better. Uh, Long term, it's better because interest, capital gains, loss, everything like that. But then you have to be worried about on your exit and what you're doing with your capital gains. Yeah, fun things. Which it, it actually it made a lot of, it made a lot of sense when uh, it was explained to me. So again, bear trust agreement. No, that's for a totally different podcast. That's, that's a great. I'll, that's a, I'll get an accountant. And I, I don't that's know an if accountant. Be... That's all accountant all the time. But <laughs> it is possible, and that's very specific uh, yeah. topic. So. The current state of the market is uh, is what in the in the interest rate mortgage. You know we're at uh, March thirtieth, twenty twenty one. Today, where are we at? <laughs> it's, it's changed today. Uh, you know, an insured insured mortgage right now, so less than less than twenty percent down. Around one ninety nine is going to be your best fixed rate, okay. and a variable will be prime minus one, so that's going to be one forty five for an insured. Uninsured is going to be about two point zero nine to two point one nine, 
um, and a refinance is two thirty nine, sort of thing. And, and very what when you go variable, because this is always uh, interesting, you know. And in the last ten years, that's obviously served people very well. You know where I'm going with this, but uh, the risk is always interest rates go up and inflation's happening, which we see it. You know, if you're looking for a, a mountain bike or a dirt bike or anything, cars. Right now, it's it's crazy, but uh, usually with inflation comes interest rate rising to cool the economy. And I'm not talking about tomorrow, but at some point. And we've been, you know, in our investment world, in the bond market, they've been saying this for for years. But at the same time, the variable rate mortgage in your history, the the risk of of a, so I'm trying to think of my wording of the question. When they raise interest rates, they usually raise them a quarter point, correct? Have they ever raised them more than a quarter point, like in one shot? No. So it's always like it's a step ladder, right? Yeah. Or or stairs. So if they raise a quarter point, that obviously affects the fixed rate. Because uh-huh. I always compare variable versus five-year fix, which is the two most common probably, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So then... You're you're you go the route of a variable, and then if you want to fix switch to a five year fix, can you? Will lenders are they stoked about that and let you get out of your variable without like the interest rate differential penalty? Oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, let's just let's just back up. So the the variable rates are based on the the Canadian Bank of Canada key overnight lending rate, right? Which is 0.5%. Okay. They meet eight times a year. They can go up a quarter point of time. They've never done more than a quarter point of time, but I don't know what they're doing. So they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they I'll, leave okay. them, I'll leave them till 2023. And then they're thinking a half in 23, a half in 24, a half in 25. Right. They don't really know. The market though, and bond yields has priced them in to raise it up to, let's say today they're 0.93-ish. That's what I woke up to. Um, so they're saying that the, that the Bank of Canada is going to raise it three quarters of a percent, which right. is cool, right? But in August, they were actually right on there, like 0.3. So they're like, this is where we need to be. Um, that is what affects the five-year fix because that then goes out into the bond market. They buy The investor buys the bonds, then they lend the money out. And so when in August they're 0.4, once they ran out of their more expensive money, this fall and early in the winter, early into this year, mortgage rates around 1.39, 1.29, 1.49, because those are the rock bottom rates. Right. Three weeks ago, a month ago, bond yields started to come up. Here you are. Now that's why we're where we are with these new rates. Right. So that affects the bonds affect the five-year fixed. Yeah. The Bank of Canada or the Fed, they're kind of tied together. They haven't moved their key overnight lending rates, right? And so 0.25 is where we, we're going to get the extra 1.2% on your variable rate mortgage. Now you can lock in, and I always remember this as a kid, the price is right game, equal to like the final show, showcase showdown, equal okay. to, but not going over, over the price of it. So it's like, you, can, you can't go over it. So if you have three years left and you say, hey, now's the time to lock it in, you can take a three-year, a four-year, or a five-year but you can't lock in if you have three years left on your variable, you can't lock into their two or one year terms. Right. So it has to be equal to or greater than problem is, is most people, and it's hard to predict where bond yields are going to go. They miss the boat on the lock-in. Yeah. So they wait too long or they, yeah, because they hear about it in the news. They're like, Oh, interest rates and mortgages went up. And it's like, Hey, should I lock this in? I'm like, yes. A month ago. Yeah. 
so where do people find that intel or what like do you follow any influencers on the in the mortgage world on social media or does there it's, you kind of you kind of have you have to know when you choose that product as like i can't tell you which to take so right. you have to know that if you're a first time buyer and you're not going to sleep at night knowing that your rate could go up you should probably take the fixed yeah but if you're savvy and you're like hey i'm willing to ride this out at 145 like i got a guy called me he's like hey so um i saw the mortgage rates went up i'm like yeah but your mortgage rate's 1.45 he's like yeah and i don't think it's going to move off of that until 2023 so i'm going to ride this out i'm like okay yeah but if if they do go up let's say that the bank of canada raises your mortgage or their their overnight rate um by half a point next year and you owe two hundred thousand bucks that's going to cost you $24 a month. Yeah. That's, that was going to be one of my next questions. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's, it's not substantial. Like if interest rates double right now, your payments aren't going to go up by double. Yeah. So on like a classic, you know, in, you know, most of my career was in Kelowna now in Salmon Arm, the numbers are slightly different, but I would say, you know, a $400,000 mortgage, yeah. you know, versus Two percent versus three percent. The payment difference on that is it's it's negligible, really. Yeah, really. Because so it's advertising what, it over twenty five years. Yeah. So when it goes to six percent, yeah, you start to you're going to have that's a triple. Yeah, yeah, or but you know, your payment's not going to triple. Hmm. You're going to go from four hundred dollars four four hundred dollars per hundred thousand to six hundred dollars per hundred thousand. And and the way that the mortgage calculation works, yeah, you just more interest, less principal. Is yeah, that how- exactly. Like at at two percent for a twenty five year amortization, you're you're basically paying fifty five percent in principal and forty five in interest. Okay. At one point seven, you're up to sixty five, and then getting up to seventy percent. So right now, you're you're almost half and half where rates are right now. Right. And so it really is allowing people to pay tons of their principal off, which will help cool inflation and wealth, right. wealth creation. Well, it sounds like you got a good debate for me there that maybe there won't be as much inflation. Oh man, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I was almost going to put my boxing gloves on. This one here <laughs> says there's, this one says this piece of paper right there says, I'm supposed to know everything about inflation. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I always like that when people are always like, well, you know, I want to get the most rate of return. Do you know the exact day that we should put our RSP contribution in? It's like, well, put it in every month and uh, you'll spread it out. Right? Like, yeah, do, do it. I don't know. I don't know when to buy anything. I used to know. I used to know exactly what to, but now I'm sure. Do you want to buy that? Great. Do you like to lock it in? Sure. So in, in your world, is there any... Anything else that you would teach, you know, people about it, to, to make the, and I keep coming back to experience again, the essence of our podcast is to help you live more of your life now, yet be responsible for your future. So one of the things of being responsible for your future would be getting your interest rates as low as possible and pay off your debt, you know, as, as fast as possible. Part of the live more of your life now is being efficient with your time. So, you know, applying for, you know, buying a house and buying a car are probably the two most, I'll say for a lot of people, intimidating processes because there's so many little 
moving parts. Usually there's financing. So if a person could fast track dealing with you or when they go to get a mortgage to then have more free time to go mountain bike and do whatever they want, that's a win. So in your world, is anything else that you'd want to teach people about to make the mortgage process more efficient? Um, I wish more people knew about their credit reports. Ah, interesting. Like how to manage their credit. I think that's an important thing that, that people don't know. Uh, I think that's a manage the spending or manage actually no, man, manage your man, managing your credit score itself, right? Like paying off your credit cards, not care, paying off your loans, not so. It comes down to three things: how long you've, have you had it, and they look at you for seven years. They want to see that you have three items of credit, so they want to see revolving, so like a credit card or a line of credit, and then they want to see um, installment payments, like a mortgage loan, a car loan, or a student loan. They want to make sure that you've not taken your revolving credits, your credit cards, and held them at 75%, 80%, 90%, or forbid, over limit. Raises red flags. I always equate it to medieval dinner theater. It's like you want the good guy, you want to be the good guy, and you want everybody cheering for you. That's it. So make your payments, even if it's the minimum payment on time. Try not to carry a balance over 50%. And pay off your loans as you can. And it usually helps. Three items, seven years. It takes two years to establish your credit. So I wish people knew about that. Um, I kind of wish that people, if they could, get into the market earlier and buy the right house. Something with a rental suite. And, know, and learn from their homes what they want in their forever home. Compared to just trying to go out there and get the most expensive, biggest, baddest house they could at the start right? To build that portfolio, it's the easiest way. And if you have renters in the basement, because you probably had them in university and roommates, and all of the things, it's, that's an easy transition. And where I find some people with rental houses fail is they don't treat it like a job, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm going to pay you $2,000 a month to rent your basement from you. It's $24,000 a year. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a pretty good side hustle. Yeah. That's that's, uh, that's a full-time job at 12 bucks an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's yeah. like a part-time job. Do some work there. Yeah. Right? And then save up, manage your money, go to the next step and build that portfolio for for retirement, right? And it's it's slow and steady I find is the the ones that win that race. Well, that's uh, that's valuable insight. I think that the final question that I that I ask everybody, and uh, you know, I, I you know, I ask it to you know, interview when I'm interviewing. You know, if you think of the uh, the five richest people that you know, are they the five wealthiest people that you know? And my question is, what is your ultimate picture of wealth? Wow. Um, it's a great question. Wow, I didn't see that one coming at all. <laughs> no prep, um, no prep. Yeah, the, the five wealthiest people I know or richest people I know, I would say 50 50 are happy. Yeah, 50 are just rich. Um, the happy ones have found philanthropy or a way to give back. Like, they you get your free time, but if you're not happy doing what you're doing, it doesn't work. But some sort of giving back and philanthropy is the way that I see that they 
they fulfill that, that missing piece of, I have all this money. What am I going to do with it? Like <laughs> I've, I've got the free time. I've got the money. I can buy the things. I would rather make other people smile. And I, I think that's the, that's the key to wealth. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's good. Chad. I, I, I love it. Uh, and and I think you're bang on. There's there's a whole world there that I don't know if it was the pre-era before us that it was, you know, you had to have, like you mentioned, the biggest, baddest house and the fanciest. And, you know, that's, you know, my analogy I always use, and I did a pod or not a podcast, a quick video about snowmobiling and in the parking lot, you know, there's 50 trucks there and they're the biggest jacked up. They got the longest trailers, they got winches and they're brand new. And uh, all the platinum editions, and I just was looking around. And I was there with my my small my youngest child, and I was thinking, okay, I wonder because no one was around. You know, I was just thinking, okay, I wonder if that big dually that's jacked up. I wonder if that guy is way more happy than that guy who's not a dually truck, and the trailer was a bit shorter. And you know, if I could ask the guy that has the huge dually truck, like, you know, you've made this a priority to establish this sort of social you know, posturing, yeah. are you really as happy as, uh, as it shows? So again, that's, that's for a I, whole nother. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, I also know that it's a lot easier to buy a truck than it is to buy a house right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, they, and they cost similar amounts of money. But, yeah. But for some people that is their happiness. It's like, I might not be able to do that or go to the place, or I might be stuck doing this or that. And I can't afford the big house, but uh, I can level the play, playing field and feel good about myself by qualifying for that $112,000 dually. Yeah. And, you know, and they, they take, they take joy out of it. I mean, I think everybody goes through that phase where they want to do that and Hey, and it's like, cool. That's good. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. For the four it, trips of sledding a year, you drive out from Saskatchewan. There's a lot of sled decks out here, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, Chad. Well, thanks a lot uh, for your insight today. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.